Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody, back to another fabulous conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am really excited to introduce you to a, a new colleague and friend, Dr. Marsha Eckert, who is a specialist in the realm of autism. And today we're going to talk about autism in general and very specifically about autism in girls. And I'm super excited to have this conversation because I, I think there's just a wealth of opportunity and information that, that Marsha is going to share with us and also a real need for us to understand the nuances here in this realm because there are so many of our girls in our community that are not getting fully or comprehensively diagnosed. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. Marcia, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So let's start by talking a little bit about what you do with families of what we like to call complex kids and how you came to be doing this work. Well, I started eons ago. And I was originally trained in doing therapy with uh, kids and adults and neuropsych testing. So I was doing neuropsych testing and I was getting a bunch of kids who were, um, they were difficult. They didn't fit in socially. They kind of weren't that put together, but people were having trouble with them. And I realized that, you know, that there were ways of understanding these kids and I kind of got it. So I ended up having a lot of these referrals and mm -hmm. I worked with them in therapy with their parents, with their schools. And I ended up learning a lot about nonverbal learning disabilities and autism. And mm -hmm. what I learned over time is just about everything I had been taught about autism was wrong. I was taught that the kids didn't want to be connected. I was taught that the kids didn't have empathy. I was taught that, oh, for one thing, that bad mothers caused autism. <laughs> they also thought bad mothers caused schizophrenia. Luckily, we've gotten beyond bad mothers. Right. But a lot of this misunderstanding that autistic kids don't get things that they that they're rude, that they're choiceful, that they, you know, don't care. They don't have, these are all things that are still out there. And it's so critical yeah. that we understand these kids. So there's a myth busting piece here that that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the other thing I'm hearing is that, you know, when everything you were taught was, was wrong, there was this process of figuring out, well, if it wasn't that, what is it? Because there was so little we knew about, about autism in those realms, particularly autism in girls. Well, I, I started doing research and I, over the long term, ended up blogging about this. I mm -hmm. ended up writing papers for professional journals because 
I found other professionals didn't really know about it. And I discovered that there's a very robust community of autistic adults who are more than happy to be available to talk to people about autistic kids and about their experiences, but um, they're not included in the dialogue. They're not Mm -hmm. experts, become experts on autism, never having met an autistic adult. And that's mind boggling to me. (laughs) It is my I mean, imagine writing articles about people who are of color and never having met a person of color. It just doesn't make any sense. No. And I I think I experienced that a lot in the neurodiverse realm is that you have a lot of experts who who clinically understand these all of these range of conditions, but may not have that personal experience with it that really gives it some depth. Yeah, I, I want to say they don't even clinically understand. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you say that. I won't be the one to say that, but I'll right. support you in it. Well, well, just for example, one of the diagnostic criteria in the manual that we all have to go by says that a lot of some of these kids' behaviors are non-functional. Well, they're non-functional if you don't understand them and you're not autistic. If you're autistic, they're perfectly functional. So a lot of the sort of judgments are are being made on an outside perspective and not from the experience of kids and adults who are autistic. Right. So you had said that you had been doing a lot of work recently. You've got an article specifically about diagnosing autism in girls. Can we dive into that a little bit more? Because that's become a real hot of maybe not hot topic. It's been a, a real warm topic for me in the last couple of years because I've been doing a lot of work myself and a lot of research around this issue because I'm noticing it in my clientele. So let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Originally, it was thought that the ratio of boys to girls was about four to one. Mm-hmm. And it's now looking more like it might be two to one. And I just saw an article that said maybe it's one to one. We have to remember that a lot of girls aren't diagnosed and that right. girls can have as many autistic traits, the social struggles, the sensory struggles, the issues around flexibility as boys and still not get diagnosed. And the reason one reason is because the whole prototype of what autism looks like is a boy prototype. And it's a great surprise to everybody that girls look different than boys. So that girls, uh, women who come to me based on having run across what I write or being referred, tell me how often they're just laughed out of doctor's offices when they say they think they're autistic because they're told they don't look like Sheldon. Right. Right. And so if you don't fit the mold, and this this is very reminiscent of what happened in the 90s in the early part of the, the century when Sari Soldan started writing about girls with ADHD or women with ADHD. It's very similar. We had this prototype that was based on on men. So how is it different? Does it does it look different or does it manifest differently for girls? I'd say both. Okay. I think that um, one of the things is that girls figure out at a very young age how to try to fit in, how to mimic social behavior. So that if you on the playground look and there's an autistic boy, he's likely to be kind of isolated. Whereas a girl will be in with girls and it looks like she's participating, but she's actually it's probably excluded. She's the one that will get to play Foursquare and then be left out once she's out. Mm-hmm. So the girls realize that she doesn't fit in, but to the casual observer, she looks social. 
And another thing is that girls, as they grow up, learn to mask and so or camouflage so that they really study with, even if it's unconsciously, the facial expression of other people, the body language, the fact that you're nodding at me and I'm nodding at you. Right. Yeah. They even sometimes will, women tell me they would have studied uh, what people say so that they had some idea of, of what you say. And, and the thing to understand about this camouflaging, because some of your listeners might say, well, what's wrong with that? They look normal, is that it's exhausting. Imagine having to think about where you're looking, what face you have on, exactly what you're saying that's expected, that's not saying too much, that's not saying the wrong thing, constantly worrying about the saying the wrong thing. It's exhausting and it's stressful. And as girls grow up, it's there's a very high rate of depression. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's a high rate of suicide. So that this has a real toll. And the message the girls get is who you are authentically is not good. It's not. And you have to put on this thing. I had one woman who called it putting on her Disney princess mask. Mm -hmm. And so she had to do she had to do bubbly. But it wasn't her. And she'd come home from school, go in her room and just lie down in the dark because it was so exhausting. Right. My kids call it peopling is just wears them out. And I, as you're saying that, I'm remembering back in the day when I used to think I, I had to do extrovert and I'm actually an introvert. And so by the end of a day or evening or whatever, I was spent because it took every bit of energy I had. And it's, it's quite a parallel experience There's- to what you're describing. Yeah. There, there's research that shows that autistic people in general including girls, get along fine with other autistic people. And non-autistic people get along fine with non-autistic people. But autistic kids and adults don't get things like, if you say, how are you? You don't really want to (laughs) know. Yeah. So there's kind of two issues I'm hearing. Part of this is about is about raising the bar for diagnostic, for for diagnosing. Like, how do we identify these girls? And then the other thing I want to look at is what's different in girls than boys. Which one of those makes sense to start with first, do you think? Well, I think, you know, when I say raising the diagnostic, I don't know whether we think of it as raising it or just making it more real, but it's understanding that these girls, because they behave in a way that's more autistic and they're not people pleasers, which is what we expect of girls. They get right. called rude, oppositional, defiant. They get called aloof. They get called selfish. They get called manipulative. They get called everything else. And they get all that negative feedback. And so I say, if you have a girl who's struggling socially, who doesn't seem to fit in, or a girl who's complaining about sensory issues or who seems inexplicably inflexible, I would think autism, even if the girl isn't Sheldon. And (laughs) really raise awareness that we need to understand because autism is an invisible disability. We don't know what's going on inside her. And she doesn't understand it. I mean, this is how she's always been. So she's likely to think this is all my fault. This mm-hmm. failure is my fault. There's something wrong with me. I'm bad. So I want to go back to, to what you just identified, because I think it was really clear. You said if, if you have a girl who's struggling socially, 
who's inflexible in their thinking or approach to things. And there was a third factor. Sensory. Sensory issues. Most autistic kids have at least one or more sensory issues, like overreactive to sound or Mm -hmm. very reactive to lighter visual complexity or a lot of uh, reactivity to texture. They might Mm -hmm. not like the tags in their clothes, or they might only be comfortable in the way certain things fit. So how do you distinguish, so where do anxiety and ADHD play in? Because a lot of what you're describing, you can see in these other conditions as well. There's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of kids who would be diagnosed autistic who are also ADHD. And there's a lot of ADHD-like qualities in terms of hyper-focusing, in terms of not paying attention to that, which is an interesting, that can be typical of autistic kids. I'd say one of the differences, you know, there may be differences sort of in the number of sensory issues. There may be differences in if you slow a kid down, the ADHD kids might have a better understanding of what their roles are. They just can't slow down and do them. Whereas mm-hmm. the autistic kids are just confused. I have right. no idea what, what it is. you I, And they're constantly worrying about making social mistakes, not because they're impulsive or because they were distracted. They can be really trying. And they're still really worried. Because they just feel like they don't get something. Right. Everybody else got the rule book and somehow they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that in so many aspects of life. (laughs) Yeah, really. Okay. So there's a lot of coexisting anxiety, ADHD, and autism. And, you know, one of the things we know now is that before 2013, kids, girls or boys, had to be diagnosed with either ADHD or anxiety. And now we know that they often coexist. And so kids often have both. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no rule that you only have one thing. Right. Uh, It's easier, wouldn't it? A majority of, I would say, of autistic kids have aspects of inattention, if not actually the ADHD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a, a number of things that are really important to know about girls that I think is important for us to get in. You know, for one thing, as I said, these girls are getting a lot of negative feedback. I've had women tell me they were taken aside by a teacher and told, just stop acting so strange and people will like you. But so, you know, we we certainly- That's so helpful. (laughs) So we want them to be understood. We want what they're responding to, to be understood. And we want them to understand that they're not failures. But- It's very important to realize that as they go through puberty, autistic girls are not getting all of that information that girls normally get from other girls about how you handle things. And imagine if you're not good at transition and flexibility and all these changes are happening to your body and you don't know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just how do you manage all that in school? How do you manage it in school if you get your period? And then we have to remember that one of the characteristics of autistic kids, which to me is a good thing, is that they're very truthful, but they don't anticipate that other people aren't. So right. autistic girls, particularly ones who want to connect or want friendships, are very much at risk of being gaslighted or having advantage taken of them sexually. So girls have a much, teens and women have a much higher rate of sexual assault 
and sexual aggression against them because they don't pick up the cues that this is what's happening. They don't pick up the social cues. They don't know from other girls that you don't do this or these boys can't be trusted or they don't know the rules of, you know, what is over the line. And Mm -hmm. and they may, I mean, I have one woman who thought that if a guy said you were his girlfriend or he liked you, you had to do whatever he said, because after all, these girls are always being told you're doing the wrong thing. Do what we say so that they're more vulnerable. I had one lady, believe it or not, who got married four times because she thought if a guy asked you to marry him, you had had to say say yes. God, that's heartbreaking. But But the sexual aggression is a real is a real risk factor. And I, I have a resource that you're going to have about a sex guy. That's, it's good for ADHD kid. It's good for any complex kid. It's right. good done by the Organization for Autism Research, but it's simply called the Sex Guide, but really goes into the details of boundaries and how do you, you know, how do you feel about your body and how do you date and how do you know what is and isn't safe? And it's so important that we be explicit and clear with this about the girls because they're, they may be getting their information from reading fiction. They may mm-hmm. be watching, they may be watching movies. So let me, and we still have a little bit more time, but, but what I'm hearing is if we see girls that are dealing with struggling socially, inflexibility, sensory issues, that's a red flag to look for autism. And when we do identify these girls, that it's really important to, to be aware of the negative feedback that they're getting and to see the impact of that in terms of that tendency for girls to be pleasers and that, that tendency that that's been ingrained in them as girls to sort of make other people happy. And that may put them at risk, particularly in a sexual environment of being more vulnerable. Is that kind of recapping what I heard? Well, I think that the expectation is of girls is that they're going to make people happy. And but mm-hmm. autistic girls may not be picking up on what that means or what they're supposed to be doing, or they just can't do that. Right. So I, I have one girl I worked with and they they can come off in a way that is, is surprising. I had one autistic girl asking me about her sexual identity because autistic kids, more of them do have questions in that area. And I explained carefully to her that, that you know, you have to live with this. And she looked at me and she said, well, that's certainly not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> So the honesty is misunderstood. Right. And can be really instructive if you're really trying to support them. I I want to ask you a question because I mentioned to you that I've done, I've had a number of clients in my practice in the last couple of years where I'm seeing young teenage girls in particular, who I've encouraged the parent to go back and get reevaluated because they were being treated for one condition. and, And I felt like I saw this trend where the autism was being missed. And we're beginning to see this more and more. One of the things I'm noticing is almost the flip side of what you're talking about in terms of sexual vulnerability. And I've seen a couple of these girls become actually, if anything, I would say almost sexually promiscuous because it was as if they couldn't relate to the girls, but they figured out they could use their body to relate to the boys. Is that something you've seen as well? Well, as I said, these girls are very vulnerable. And if they get the message that I'm going to like you, they don't necessarily appreciate the bounds of what's safe for them. 
Mm-hmm. And so they may be told that this is something that I'm going, you know, is going to get you this close relationship, whether it's genuinely close or not. And, you know, and they go along with it because they don't realize that this, there's reasons why you, why you don't, why it's unsafe. And yeah. so, yeah, there, you know, there are girls who, you know, again, if the sensory issues don't totally turn them off, right. You know, who might be more, who are more vulnerable to being what we call gaslighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or taken advantage of in that way, even if they feel like they're in control, they're still maybe not. Is what right. I think exactly. Yeah. So we have just a few more minutes. First, let's tell people how they can find out more about you. Well, I have a website. It's MarshaEckerd.com, which is pretty easy, hopefully. Awesome. And it'll be in the show notes so people can find it. The other thing I want to share is you've brought a number of resources that you want to share with people. And so we're going to put them together in a PDF for people to download. So I want to let people know that will be in the in the show notes as well. And we'll also include a link to the article you were talking about, about women with autism that you said was recently published. So MarciaEckert.com, and then there will be a, a download link for you with additional resources, generally about autism, not, and, and then also specifically about autism in women. Anything else? Or does that capture it? Uh, that, that pretty much captures it. I mean, I think that as with all complex kids, and in my case, autistic kids, they need to be understood. You have to understand what their experience is and where they're coming from if you want to help them. Just telling a kid they're bad or what they're doing is bad doesn't help them. They have to understand. We have to understand what their experience is and then help them come up with ways that work for them. And sometimes we have to just give them accommodations. I'm sure there are ADHD kids that you work with who need to move around. There are autistic kids who need to move around. There are autistic kids who need uh, accommodations around sound. So we really need to understand the experience of our kids, yours and mine. Yeah. Well, and what that says to me is that one of the things we talk about a lot in the coaching world is meet them where they are. Exactly. And so your, your vision here is about the better we can understand these kids and diagnose them accurately, the better we can support them, meet them where they are, and help them learn to navigate whatever it is that they're learning to navigate. Yeah. I, I wrote a blog, which I'll also send you, on how basically the experience of autistic kids is ignored because the goal is to extinguish their autistic behavior without necessarily understanding them. And a lot of kids come out of school traumatized because this is so difficult. And so far it's had over 205,000 reads. So it seems to have hit a nerve. I think you've hit a nerve indeed. And I think that that's part of what I'm seeing. You know, I work with parents of complex kids. So whether it's ADHD, anxiety, autism, LD, it's the whole range that because I've rarely met a kid who has just one of anything. And what really strikes me about what's happening in the movement for people with autism is that there is a shift and the autistic community is saying, no more, you're not going to, we're not going to extinguish these behaviors because, you know, the ADHD community for many years has been, how do we conform to behave more typically? And really the autistic community is saying, no, here's, here's who we are, come meet us where we are. And that's a shift in this neurodiverse world. It's a complete paradigm shift because yeah. the the way autism has always been defined, it's that it's a, a deviation of normal development. 
And so therefore, everything we can do to fix them, to make them look normal is what we want to do. And there's an entire movement called the neurodiversity movement, which basically says there are different neurotypes. There are different ways that our brains work. And we accept neurodiversity in our hair color, our skin color, our talents, in every other way. But somehow it's as if there's only one way to think, only one way to process, and anything else is is different. So the autistic community wants people to understand that autism is part of their identity. It's a, yeah. And it has its gifts as well as its challenges. No one does. No one's denying that there are challenges, but it also has its gifts. Uh, Simon Baron Cohen, who has done a lot of the research, a lot of it early negative, has recently come out saying that autistic thinking actually contributes to the progress of humanity, that many inventors are autistic. There's enormous gifts that autistic insight and autistic way of being focused and clear and detailed contributes to humanity. And so to just say that, you know, this is something bad is a gross. It's missing the whole point of it. And I I would argue that that the entire neurodiverse realm is is contributed to the progress of humanity, that this these kids that we're raising, yes, they're complicated and they're extraordinary and their capacity is extraordinary. And if we can harness those gifts and play to their strengths, that's the potential for for humanity is huge. Yeah. Speaking to your kids, uh, I mean, we both get all complex kids. We both get kids who have all kinds, you know, LD, ADHD, That's right. You know, we do. But for example, the ADHD kids, they're out of the box thinkers. They're crazy creative. And I have a friend who edited a textbook about ADHD, putting in all the research. And I said, you don't have anything about their creativity. You don't have anything about their gifts. And she said, well, there's not research. There's not a lot of research. Can you believe that? And I'm like, well, why do you only research the negatives and not research all of the positives. And that's the way they do research. What can I say? We could have a whole other podcast on on that because there's, you know, in a way we see for so long, ADHD has been a behavior disorder or has been perceived as a behavior disorder, whereas autism was seen as 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 a presence disorder, for lack of a better word. And so there was, there was almost from the beginning, a negative positive shift. But again, another conversation for for another time. Right. Um, Marcia, thank you for being here. Is there anything else you want to make sure that our listeners take away from today? Any any button you want to offer to this conversation? Well, you had asked me to think if there was a saying, and this is a meme. It would be better if you could see it, then um, you'll just have to take my word for it. But it's a wonderful one. And it's a cat, Uni's sitting there, and she's saying, I'm a cat. I'm not a broken dog. (laughs) (laughs) So let's understand that the, you know, you know, autistic people say I'm an autistic person, not I'm a person with autism. Autism is a part of how you process, how you think in your identity and that they're not broken, normal people. They yeah, are, they are neurodiversely. They are, neuro, they, they are 
solidly okay neurodiverse people. And as, as with your kids, as with a lot of our complicated kids, they need to be met where they are, that we yeah. need to appreciate them and give them the message that you are a good person, you are a caring person, you are a kind person, you are who you are, you're not just this thing that you're judged on. I love that. Thank you. I'm not a broken cat. I'm, I'm a cat, not a broken dog. That will, that's beautiful. So Marcia, thank you for being here. Our guest has been Dr. Marcia Eckert, who's an expert in the realm of autism, has done a lot of writing on autism. Today, we were talking a little bit more about autism and girls specifically. Um, there are a lot of resources in the show notes. So I really encourage you to go download and take advantage of them. She's a wealth of, of information and positivity. Marcia, thank you for, for the work you're doing and for the message you're bringing. We really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. And to those of you listening, thanks for what you're doing for yourselves and for your kids. At the end of the day, you make a huge difference. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.